0: And learning, and they're going to go and have a good time of children's church and Bible time at Noah's Park Adventures and Learning. And we're going to be in here learning a little bit about Athens today, learning a little bit about what the people were like and what made them tick. Athens was built upon philosophical principles and their governing leaders, and upon those principles, they thought that if they could get to the bottom of a problem through rhetoric, or if they could get to the bottom of a problem through positions and analysis, then they could understand what that problem was. That became their basis for living, just simply having philosophical debates about what was right and what was wrong, what was up and what was down, what was east and what was west, and they had these debates ongoing and actually spent a lot of time and energy in trying to understand life. They didn't take it uh, just as a simple exercise of, of some kind of a brain power that they had. They actually thought they were getting to the elements of what life was all about. But here's the problem with that. If you can be argued into a position, you can be argued out of it. And so, when humanism is the basis for the positions that we take, and and somebody comes along with a substantial argument that moves us to a position of humanism, then later, when those sands shift, and all of a sudden there's somebody that speaks better, there's somebody that can postulate deeper, all of a sudden you start believing things that just a decade or two ago would have been foolishness. Aren't we there, America? Aren't we where Athens was? Aren't we in that same position where foolishness has become the belief and the capitulation of people's minds and thoughts during these dark days? That's where we are. We're not so much different than Athens because Athens did not have a true understanding of what was true. They didn't have a right understanding of what was right. They didn't know that. Why do we know that? Because when you read Acts chapter 17, you find that they were trying to accommodate all people. They were wanting to make sure that nobody felt like a misfit. And so therefore, we're going to have these idols that we erect to all these different gods. And just to make sure that we don't leave anybody else, we're going to have an idol to the unknown idol because that gives space and that gives room for that excluded people group to feel like they're part of it. They might have named their idols with different letters of the Greek alphabet. Who knows? But their whole humanistic philosophy was trying to just simply bring everybody to some sort of an inclusion within society. And yet here we are in that same state in America these 2,000 years later. Why are you in America today? You say, because I was born here. I believe a God that's more divine than that. I believe there's a God that pre-appointed your birth and your days and your time for the culture that you live in today. I believe in a God that is sovereign over his creation, and yet he invites you to join him in his purposes for this planet. Why are you here today? I believe God has a divine appointment for you in, in the United States of America today. I don't believe you're here by accident. I believe he's placed you here for such a time as this. Often we think of divine appointments as these. Grand Encounters, and some of us can name some of those Grand Encounters that we've had in the past. I remember sitting on an airplane and talking with this woman from Brazil who was originally German, but yet now she's serving in the leadership role there in Brazil. And I remember having an opportunity to evangelize her as we rode on that plane together. I thought I was going down for a mission trip, and God was sending me down for a Brazilian woman. I remember meeting a guy at an ice cream shop and talking to him about salvation when he said life just seemed meaningless and all of a sudden you saw meaning enliven in his eyes. I remember just a week or two ago talking to somebody about living for eternity and not living for today and those moments we look at and we say that was a divine appointment that was a divine appointment that was a divine appointment. Friends you miss it your life is a divine appointment. Every day that you draw breath in your lungs God raised you for his glory that day and he gives you a purpose in that day if only we receive it your life is a divine appointment it's not just about the mountaintops it's about every moment that you're living in this world that he created you a long term engagement of birth to death is your appointment and you know what the world's going to do what the world's going to do but what are you going to do at the time That you've been given in the appointment of your life among this lost and depraved world that looks to humanism for the answers, among this lost and searching planet that's not looking in the right places, how are you going to live differently? How are you going to impact the people that you encounter? Here's a pointed question. Does God's word bring a true difference in your life? Does it change you and does it set you apart for the day that you live in today? Does God's word bring a true difference in your life? As you go to Sunday school, (coughs) excuse me, as you sit in preaching, do you believe that God will use his word in changing you so that he can use you in reaching others? Do you really believe that? Or do you come to Sunday school because it's Sunday and it's the day to do that? Do you come to preaching because it's Sunday and it's the day to do that? Do you even open your Bibles during the week for those of you who do and do that because you believe God is going to change you? Or do you do it for some other reason and that's to make yourself look good in the sight of God? Listen, that ain't going to work. That dog's barking up the wrong tree. He knows how dirty and depraved we are. But the fact of the matter is when you open God's word and you're looking to encounter him and his person and his glory in the reading of his word, and you're looking for him to change you from the inside out, then there is a faith encounter with that that you believe God. And believing God is really how we activate what God wants us to do. Oh, we didn't create that. He did but we get to be recipients of that. So does God's word word bring a true difference in your life? Do you expect God to do something? Do you expect God to use you? 2,000 years ago in Athens, Paul was in that situation. That's where he was as he's encountering these people on Mars Hill. Spiritually and collectively, they were the same as we are today in America. So read with me, beginning in verse 16. Now, While Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. Therefore, he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. Then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him. And some said, what does this babbler want to say? Others said, he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus saying, may we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak, for you're bringing bringing some strange things to our ears. Therefore, we want to know what these things mean. For all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing, him I proclaim to you. God, who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything since he gives to all life breath and all things and he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings my friends he's determined your pre-appointed times and the boundaries of your dwellings you're here for a divine purpose so that they should seek the lord in the hope that they might grow for him and find him though He is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of our own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooks. But now commands all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance to this to all by raising him from the dead. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked while others said, we will hear you again on this matter. So so Paul departed from among them. However, some men joined him and believed. Among them Dionysius the Areopagite, a woman named Damaris, and others with them. Oh, my friends, we are living in Athens. If that doesn't describe America today, I don't know what does, where each man is right to choose his own way. And whichever God you want to serve, you serve that God, even if you don't want to name it a God or call it a God. your pursuit of whatever it is you want to pursue is your God and you're welcome to go down any road you want to go down and nobody's going to think the less of you for that and you just have a good time with it. That is the culture that we live in today. And how do we substantiate that? Through philosophical arguments and positions that we take and then we demand that others hear our positions and give us the right to express those ideas. If you think I'm lying, just go onto your social media platform, whichever one you like to look at and listen to all the ideas that are just put out there as if they're the truth and there's no other way but that way. We all are living in that same place. But my friends, while you're living in Athens, while you're living in America, while you're alive here and now, know that God sets divine appointments for you while you're alive here. God sets divine appointments for you while you wait. You say, wait, what are you talking about waiting? Well, that's all Paul was doing. Paul was just waiting. Paul had preached in Philippi. Paul had preached in Thessalonica. Paul had preached in Berea. And all of those preachings that he was a part of ministering to the church, that wasn't really a good outcome in the eyes of, well, what a minister might want it to be. Oh, there were people saved. There were people who came to know the Lord, and and Paul was excited about that, but you realize that he was arrested in Philippi. He was put in the jail cell there. You realize that he had to leave at night from Thessalonica because he was being threatened by those that had come and stirred up the populace, and then he was sent by sea from Berea to escape. Those that followed him from Thessalonica to there, oh, he was on the run. And while he's on the run, he makes his way to Athens, having been sent by sea. And all he's doing is waiting. He's waiting for his companions to join him. you ever think Paul must get tired? you ever think that? He must be wore out. He must be tired of fighting this fight. And maybe he just wants to not be mistreated or harassed. Or maybe he wants to just escape the council culture for just a second and just retreat back into himself and just breathe again. You ever think that about Paul? I do. You know why? Because we go through it too. We go through those same temptations to say, you know what, I've just had enough. Let me just be myself for a while. Let me just get away from the opportunity to be what God wants me to be. And let me just be me. Isn't that a statement we see on Facebook all the time? Let me be me. You be you, I be me. That's what we'll do. That's not God's way, though. God's way is to be faithful in what he's put us in, and put us through. Surely Paul would have an opportunity if his thoughts would run that way to rest from the distractions and the problems. After all, he was just waiting. Look at verse 15 of chapter 17, and you find that. So those who conducted Paul brought him to Athens and receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him with all speed, they departed. Now while Paul waited for them that's all he's doing he has every right maybe to say i'm done for a while to wait for my comfort in the company that's going to join me my companionship of confidence that's going to encircle me maybe that was on his mind but many of us find ourselves in that very waiting place right now you know how i know that because we're all about singing the song when we all get to heaven that was great i know it you're gonna sign me up now what a day of rejoicing that will be my friends god never called you to wait to rejoice that's a great song i love that song it's a song of the promise it's a song of the future but while we're waiting. We're not supposed to keep our eyes so far in the future that we forget to look around us now. We're not supposed to keep our eye on the prize of heaven and eternity to the degree that we forget that he has a divine appointment for us here And now that cannot be the way we live our life. And that would not be the way Paul would conduct himself as he waited. He knew that there could be a divine appointment for him. You may be getting tired of being mistreated. You may be getting tired of being harassed as a believer in Christ. You may be getting tired of the council culture that doesn't want to hear what you might have to say. I mean, after all, Paul knew Antioch. He knew of a place where there were missionaries being equipped and being sent out he understood that there was power in the gospel as he thought back to jerusalem and knew of a place where souls were being saved but oh he ain't there no more you understand in america many of you are still looking back and you're saying jerusalem was a great day of america we had souls getting saved and people coming down the aisles and being born again. And you look back and you say we had the greatest mission-sending time in the history of this world. And you think that we're still Antioch, but we're not. We're Athens. But God's not done with you. He still has a divine appointment for you. And heaven, while you're waiting, He still has a busy enterprise to work through you here. And now God's divine appointment for you is while you wait, he has encounters for you to make. While you wait, he has engagements for you while you're alive in Athens. Do you believe that? Then are you coming to the word to say, God, would you change me here and now? Would you use this to shape me for your glory? Would you not let me just wait it out until the trumpet blows or you call me home? God, would you actually use me in the midst of Athens, in the midst of America, so that, God, I would be a light shining on the hill for your glory? Do you really believe God can take little old you and illuminate you in such a way that his glory ebbs and flows through you that when others encounter you, they go, I don't know what that guy's got, but I sure do like it. God can do that. He can change you in the midst of Athens so that you are used to change others. How do you find those encounters and how do you make those engagements? Well, it's very simple. You have to look and see while you wait. Continue reading with me in verse 16. Now, while Paul waited for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. Do you see it there? He didn't just sit there and twiddle his thumbs. He looked, and he saw, and his spirit was stirred. He understood that there was something going on around the culture around him. And when he looked and saw the landscape and his spirit was stirred, that's when he began to go to the marketplace to preach. What do you see when you look around our culture? When you look outside your doors or on the television newscast or on the... Facebook streams of what's going on in our culture or or online to see what's going on in our culture. What do you see when you look outside the windows of your life? Do you see baby killers and idolaters? Do you see people that are running rampant with sexual sin? Do you look out your windows and look at the landscape of our country and see political oppressions? and haters of God? We'd be blind if we didn't. But what's your response to what you see? Is your response to what you see, God, get them, God. Those people don't know how to live. They're they're killing babies in the womb. They're idolizing themselves before everything. They're, they're, They're lying in politics and betraying their country, God. Do you see what they're doing, God? Would you just come and get them, God, so that we can be done with all this? Is that your response? It's very close to what many of us probably have entertained. And we wouldn't be strangers to that entertainment because even the disciples themselves went down that very road. You see, as they were approaching a Samaritan village and Jesus had his face set toward the cross, what we read in Luke chapter 9, verses 53 and 54 is that Samaritan village, they did not receive Jesus and the disciples because his face was set to journey to Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, oh, the sons of thunder, get them, God! That's what they're going to proclaim. When James and John saw this, they said, Lord, do you you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them as Elijah did? Lord, do you want us to get them for you? We're not that far from that sometimes. Where we look and we see the problems. And our reaction is, get them, God. They've gone too far now. Take them out. Do you remember what Jesus' response was to James and John? Upon hearing this, we find this in verse 55 and 56 of Luke chapter 9. He turned and rebuked them and said, You do not know what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. We know what fills our landscape. We understand the sin nature of our country. But also know that when you look and you see this all around you, the same people you see out there is who you once were yourself. You were once a stranger, an alien to God an enemy of his glory? Colossians chapter 1 tells us that exactly, that you once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he is reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. You see, that's heaven there's coming that day where the presentation of you is going to be presented to God in all of his glory and here's Joe, he's holy and blameless in your sight God because of the blood of Jesus here's Gina, she's holy and blameless in your sight because of the blood of Jesus here's Leon, he's holy and blameless in your sight because of the blood of Jesus, the one day that's coming and the presentation of every child of God is going to be given to the glory of God, but my friend we still wrestle with the flesh now. And when we see idolatry and we see babies being murdered and we see indiscretions in politics and we see all these problems that are around us where humanism is the law of the land today, all of a sudden we start welling up within our spirit with an inclination to say, get them, God. Ain't you glad God didn't get you? You see, you can be stirred in sin. And that's where we oftentimes find ourselves, just like the disciples. Because when you're stirred, you have to realize the very people that stir you in such a way are the very people that need the good news of salvation. The very people that are chasing down their own ideologies and philosophies are the very people that need the substantial truth of Jesus Christ that he loves them and has forgiven them of their sin. You see, when we look at the disciples and they say, you want us to rain fire down on them like Elijah did, their head was engaged and they knew it wasn't right, but oh, their heart wasn't in tune yet. And we find ourselves like that sometimes as well. What is your heart condition to the people that are around you in Athens today? To the people that are living in our country of America today, what is your heart condition towards them? Do you look and you're stirred for their salvation? Or do you look and you're stirred for their condemnation? Is your soul provoked to bring forgiveness or fire? Earlier question is, does God's word bring a true difference to your life, where you live today? May God's word move you to be broken, my friends. May it move you to say, God, I can't do this. That's beyond me, and that's exactly where he wants you to be. He wants you to be on your knees saying, God, the only way you can illuminate me so much that when they squeeze me, you come out, is if you do a work. Because, my friend, let me just tell you, you try to do it yourself, it ain't going to happen. You can't soak in enough God to make him radiate through you, but, oh, he can pour himself into you. God, provoke my spirit for others. Could that not be a right prayer? Thirdly, I want you to be ready to stand humbly while you wait. Be ready to stand humbly while you wait. Look at verse 17. Therefore, he reasoned in the synagogue and with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there there wasn't anybody too low for Paul to talk to. You understand Paul's background. He was well trained in rhetoric and philosophy. You didn't get to his position without being so. He could build one kind of argument after another kind of argument and stack everything upon itself till it stood upright and made anybody that questioned him look foolish. He had that ability within him but He didn't see it as any demeaning thing to him to talk to any and everybody that came his way. He talked to those that happened to be there. Then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him, and some said, what does this babbler want to say? Paul's credentials were above that. The word babbler is a huge, huge, huge insult upon Paul. And if I were to explain to you what that meant today, it would make some of us blush. Because it was that much of a derogatory term when it was applied to Paul. What does this babbler have to say? Paul's above that. He's trained in the school of Judaism. He knows all the rhetoric. He understands all the arguments. All he has to do is bolster up his intelligence and he'd be able to stand there and rip them apart if he wanted to. But oh, he's not looking with eyes of fire. He's looking with eyes of forgiveness. He's not presenting himself. He's presenting his Savior. He's not trying to win them to a position. He's trying to lead them to a person. And if Paul gets in the way of that, he's going to destroy the work of God. And so what you see is a humility starting to rise up within Paul. And that humility that rises up allows him to take the insult, allows him to take the slight, allows him to take the offense and not be diminished one bit by Do you know there's a difference between an offense given and an offense received? You don't have to receive the offense. When you know that greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world, you don't have to be offended by what the world says. When you understand that you are significant in the very fact that God created you just to be who you are, you don't have to be diminished by what somebody else thinks of you. You can say, God, me and you, I'm good with that. And that's all you Need. he was ready to stand humbly while he waited he reasoned with them and when the Stoics and the Epicureans show up you got two different trains of thought here the, the Stoics believed that virtue and regulation of life and, and, and hard living and rationalism and logic that was the way to accomplish things the Epicureans they, they simply were sera, sera, what will be will be no reason to stress over the mess two different people Through Paul's humility, he addresses them both. In his statements that he makes, based even upon just knowing his audience, he's able to address them both. He could have become a judgmental legalist and gave them what for, but no, he said the secret Christian things that they need to know needs to be spoken through a silent witness. And that's what he gave. Oh, he spoke. But it wasn't in arrogance and it wasn't in pride and it wasn't to win an argument. It was simply to speak the truth, receive whatever slight and move on. And isn't that, by the way, the way of God? Wasn't he the one who received the punishment for our sin? when he was so above that 1 Peter chapter 2 says he committed no sin nor was deceit found in his mouth when he was reviled he did not revile in return when he suffered he did not threaten but committed himself to him who judges righteously you see if we're going to be like God we're not going to be so ready to receive offenses even when they're given Then you move on to the Areopagus itself. And at the Areopagus, in verse 19, you say, this Bible says, and they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, may we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak. Now, pause just a second here. The Areopagus is made up of nine, nine of the most intelligent people of the country. Nine of the most philosophical leaders that have ever postulated any idea whatsoever and these people on the areopagus had listened to many different understandings of life and reality from many different backgrounds from the eastern mysticism all the way to the greek gods and goddesses they understood what was going on in the world that day but do you find it interesting that just a few hundred miles away a roman cross crucified jesus he resurrected from the dead and yet they hadn't heard a thing about that Not until today. Not until Paul looks out at Athens and his heart isn't for fire, it's for forgiveness. And Paul stands and speaks the truth to the leading philosophers of his day. You say, but I can't address anybody like that. I couldn't possibly address our Supreme Court. They're too smart, they're too learned. They're too far above me. I'm not like Paul. Well, I have good news for you. God hasn't called you to do that yet. But, oh, my friends, if you stand in the marketplace. Oh, by the way, where's your marketplace? Who's the people you work with? Where's the place you spend your time? There's nobody too lowly for you to spend time with and tell them about Jesus. Where's your marketplace? You see, Paul was willing to do that. And when you stand in the marketplace of life that God has positioned you in now and you share the truth that God's given you to share, then you better know that when you're faithful in a little, He'll make you ruler over much. And when you're faithful in a little and you share the truth with others, God will start leading you to something else and something different. It's not better. It's just different. And you share the same truth you shared. In the same way you shared it, and God uses it for His glory. You can do what God equips you to do, wherever that might be. And notice what He starts with in His statement to Him in verse 22 Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. He starts with their religiosity. My friends, know this every man was shaped to worship. And every man will find something to worship. And that's where Paul starts with their religiosity. And he says, for as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. He started with the heart nature of man. And you can do that. He continued on in verse 24, pick up with me there, God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshiped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. What did he do? He said there's a reason there's a creation, because there's a creator. There's a reason there's a cosmos, because there's a cosmological God who created everything that is. He started with the substance of truth, of who God is as all-powerful. He started with their religiosity, move to the power of God. He got big, but oh, then he got personal. Look at verse 27 through 30. So that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grow for him and find him. Though he is not far from any one of us, that God who is so big that he spoke everything into existence is so personal that he's very close to you. He goes on in verse 28. And he says, for in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of our own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature of God is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's divine. Listen, folks, he's getting personal. He says, you can't make up God. You just got to receive him for who he is. Oh, he's close. And he wants you to reach for him. And when you reach, you can find him. he's not far. And then he got real. Look at verse 31. Because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. Think for a second. Who's he addressing? The Stoics and the Epicureans. The Stoics? Philosophy. Regulation. Rule. Epicureans? yeah. Whatever happens, happens. Just have fun. He says to the Stoics, listen, there's a God who's all-powerful. He created everything. If he created everything, everything's under his domain. If everything's under his domain, you've got to listen to God and receive him for who he is. He's not far from you, but you've got to receive him for who he is. To the Epicureans, there's a day. There's a day that God's going to judge the world. And if you just live for yourself and you just live for pleasure, there's going to be a payday someday and you better be ready for it. He will judge. He got real with them. Your stand for Christ must be personal with others you you can't just say i'm going to win them to a position i'm going to win them to a place that i want them to be no it's got to be personal with others you're not saving people to a position but to a person if you're just wanting people to think and look and act like you then my friends that's the wrong destination for them we already got one of you we don't need a carbon copy But, oh, that person that's gone their own way, God wants to add them to the glory of his bouquet. And you have been positioned for divine opportunities just like that in the world that you live in today. If you're introducing people to the God that created and redeems, then that's something to repent for. But if you're introducing them into the God that you want them to see, and you're putting yourself in that place, no repentance will be found. Stay humble. And leave the results to God. Look at verse 32, and we'll close here. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. Oh, I bet you feel so bad they didn't believe you. If you're staying humble, it ain't you you're trying to get them to believe. Some mocked. What did the others do? Well, others said, we will hear this matter again. So Paul departed from among them. However, some men joined him and believed. Among them Dionysius the Areopagate, the woman named Damaris, and others with them. When you walk into the divine appointment of your life and you let God lead your steps, the outcome's not up to you. It's up to Him. You can rest comfortably knowing that when God accomplishes what He desires to do, that the waiting place that you're in right now, He's using it for everything that He intended it to be used for. That the waiting place you're in right now Results in more glory for Him as you live in Athens for that reason. God has placed you here for a divine appointment for others. Look and see, stand and speak humbly. Do you believe God has something to do with you in this world that He's placed you in? And if you do, receive that which He's given you that He may use you for His glory. And if all hearts and minds are clear with that, what are you going to do with this today? Are you going to say, God, would you change me through the preaching and teaching of your word? Would you move me to where you want me to be more proximate than I am now? Would you use me in the world that you've placed me in, or are you going to say, that was that was that was a good message, or that was a bad message? That was a time well spent in church. I got to see friends. We sang good music. Or perhaps God is actually wanting to shape your heart today. Actually use his word to do something to change the direction that you have in life. Would you at least entertain that thought and say, God, I want to give whatever you want me to give to you today. Would you at least entertain that thought and say, I'm not just meeting here today to sharpen my academics. Would you at least entertain that thought and say, God, I really want to hear you do something in my life so that I can do something in this world. Would that at least be something you would be moved to do. And if it is, then let God hear that. As we stand and sing, Pastor Jeff, come lead us in our invitational hymn. May God use you to make a difference in Athens today.